Welcome to Market Proof Marketing, the weekly podcast from the marketing minds at doyouconvert.com, where we talk about the current state of all things digital and how they impact home builders and developers around the globe. We're not here to sell you, we're here to help you and to try and elevate the conversation. I'm Kevin Oakley, refreshed from not being in California for three days. And with me today, as always, is the ad doctor. Andrew Peak. Welcome to episode number 21. I'm so glad to hear that you're refreshed because you were a zombie, I think, on Friday, at least. Yeah, I was. <laughs> according to your sleep schedule. Well, Man. according to a lot of things, I was just even as I was editing uh, last week's episode quickly on mm-hmm. Saturday morning, I was like, man, I just don't sound fully awake. But um, <laughs> got like 13 hours of sleep on Saturday night. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah. So we're we're back in business here, ready for. I- the holiday week where that means um, the energy will go to my family, I guess, because we'll be taking the middle of the week off to celebrate That's, celebrate yeah, uh, the 4th of July. Sh- for sure. And I feel like it's already started. Usually if I'm down here, you know, Tampa, Florida, like right by the beaches, which is where everyone likes to go and watch the fireworks because you could see miles and miles and miles. You just look along the coast and it's already like getting like there's no one on the road yet. So I don't know what's going on. It's kind of weird having the July 4th in the middle of the week it's just different typically the traffic is crazy everyone in the surrounding counties will come over this way for like the whole day and traffic is nuts but it's like empty out there yeah i don't know we're we're pre-recording recording this episode on the 2nd of july so if something big breaks on july 5th uh google decides to redo a huge algorithm update or facebook decides to stop letting you advertise we didn't miss it (laughs) Uh, we we know it happened (laughs) Let's dive into story time. Google Trends is a tool that's been around for a while, but uh, that lets you see uh, search trend data for um, how people are using Google. Uh, It's been around for a long time, but they've really um, started to add additional terms in it that before when you try to search for, just say, sorry, this isn't popular enough. And they just keep, uh, keep growing that. And so if you go and do a Google search for Google Trends or go to trends.google.com slash trends, you can type in almost any term now and start to see data on it. And if you type in new homes and then change, it'll, it'll populate with a 12-month uh, amount of data. Switch that to five, the past five years, and five you years. will see what looks like a heartbeat. It's just very consistent, slight variations, but overall very consistent. And what you see is that around July, all the way down until December 31st, it is just a decline in terms of the amount of the volume of searches being done that include the keyword new homes. And just a great um, visual reminder about just the reality this time of year. It's not that you're not going to get appointments or sales that absolutely will continue to happen. Mm -hmm. But in terms of the volume of people actively out there looking for new homes or doing searches related to new homes, that's going to be dropping off from this point until the rest of the year. That should yeah. drive some realities for us of, holy cow, I, I can't expect that, to, that, that volume of inbound traffic to remain the same. And that's why um, we've talked about many times that you cannot even flow traffic. It's impossible to do, but you can even flow appointments and sales by focusing on all those people that you met January through the beginning of July. Very true. Should we do, what do you recommend as far as changing any marketing spend or even like a shift in project focus just as far as, well, I'll be less busy mentally as a marketer. Should I 
is there something else like this back half of the year might be a good time to do X, Y, Z, or is it really, that's, that's a hard question to answer because it could really vary well, depending on who, who's asking. It's a great that. question. And the answer is yes, you're going to have to spend more time as a marketer supporting your sales team directly in the back half of the year, meaning helping them with long-term follow-up campaigns, giving them content to put in an email out using their CRM to a targeted list. You're going to have to come up with excuses, good excuses for your sales team to follow up, meaning articles or content about interest rate changes, the buying power changing, arming the sales team directly, working even more intimately with them with their own community challenges, own submarket challenges or challenges as a whole, and, and really um, working hand in hand with them to re-engage those people who have already been in. Because we know if we just leave it up on their own, salespeople right now feel defeated because there's fewer people walking in the door. And so mm -hmm. that energy level that's necessary to do good long-term follow-up, it's ironic because it's not there the first half of the year because they're too busy writing yep. contracts and with all the traffic, but then they just mm -hmm. don't have the energy, even though they have the time. And so it's marketing's job to make that easy, as easy as possible so that they can follow through. Gotcha. It's that makes also sense. interesting if you click back on Google Trends and just type in mm -hmm. the word homes without the word new, all right, you will see a dramatic difference in terms of the, the volume of searches. So keep your new home search term up in Google Trends and just add homes to it. And you will see that it is at least um, probably 10 times greater search volume uh, yeah. for the word homes. But that same pattern exists there with one slight difference. And that is that searches for the word that include the keyword homes uh, tends to drag out longer into the months of August. So we get about an extra 30-ish days of that same high volume of searches being done if people are looking at existing homes rather than just new homes. And that can all this make sense, right, Andrew, if we know how long people are searching before they go out. Mm -hmm. And if you want to be in by the school year, you know, you could still be doing that search in mid-August potentially and be getting in right around school time. Yep. Yeah, that seems to be the biggest factor. And then just, yeah. And now it's interesting on the Google Trends, it's like relative when you log it up, it, it's relative numbers. So it's like on a scale of zero to 100. So the yeah. numbers don't really mean anything specific other than how does one compare against the other one. But if you, if you look at homes, that one's been increasing. Year, like it's clearly going up as far as going 2014, 15, 16, 17. It's, mm -hmm. uh, it's neat seeing that as far as the search data versus like, well, we, well, we know that's what's been happening. But just seeing that broken down into nerd format with Google Trends. Yeah. And interestingly, it's still not quite as high as it was in July of 2006, which was the peak, uh, the highest point where it was at 100 uh, on their relative oh, scoring yeah, right system. There. So there's still room to go. But that, the fact that existing homes are going to continue from July through August means that this is the one time of the year where it is okay to focus on your inventory because that's what the market is looking for. You know, I, I really... We talk a lot about home builders kind of give up on their, the uniqueness of being a new home builder where you can pick out and make selections to personalize the home, which is one of the reasons people do choose new construction to get exactly what they want. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times we have to nudge builders to, oh yeah, you should talk about that and, and stop talking about just your inventory. But this is the time of year where talking about inventory makes complete, complete sense. Definitely. I like it. 
So my quick story is actually, it, it's a good second half from last week of where I talked about, you know, elevating your standards, just what you expect from yourself. Um, so this one ties into something you could do today, do next week, whenever you want to do this. And this would be A-B testing Facebook ads, which is fun, fun, fun. Um, so I don't, I guess we could, we could put the screenshot that I put in here um, somehow into the show notes. Yeah. But it's the, the process I did A-B test. It's not what I actually did, but it's just the screenshot of like, here's the cost per lead. Um, this is about a month period, um, three different, three different ads and going from, and this is a coming soon community. So it's, it, the leads mm -hmm. will be much more efficient as there'll be a lower cost just because they aren't committing to a, to a conversation. They're not committing to really anything. They're just interested. So keep that in mind. You can't compare this against someone, the cost per lead of someone reaching out to an existing product that they want to um, take a look at. So it started at two eighty eight. $2.88 per lead. Mm -hmm. AB tested it a little different design and a little different targeting. Went down to $2.20, um, $2.20. I was like, okay, cool. This is a good spot for me as far as the targeting. I don't think I can improve that, but I do think I could rework the ad a little bit and get it down lower. And then at that point, now I'm at around $1.80 average. So from $2.88 to $1.80. And the process was just, you know, like, throwing a different ad on there that was different enough to actually make a difference. So tying that back to the first part, we're just elevating your standards. Now that I know I could get leads for $1.80, if I'm having leads for say four or $5, I'll, it's my internal, you know, oh, reminder of, oh, you, you could do a lot better than that, Andrew. You could do better. So yeah, and that doesn't mean that another builder on another part of the country who has a completely different product or price point, oh, no. that eighty is your new threshold. Mm -hmm. It means Correct. for that particular builder, you now have a new, you know, that's for, for people who always say, well, Kevin, you, you don't want us to focus on our competition or you don't want us to just over obsess about national average numbers, but then how do we know if we're doing good or not or doing better? And that's, you're kind of showing a different example of this of, just do better than your previous number. Showing continual mm -hmm. improvement yeah. and constantly raising that bar is as important as just saying, well, this magazine article says I should be here and I'm not. And now I, you know, I feel like I'm not, not making progress. Progress Definitely. is simply doing better than you were doing. That's right. And you'll before. see different like product to product sub market. If you're the same builder, like over here, then five miles this way, completely different numbers um, coming soon. Ads are my favorite because the the change is really quick. As far as mm -hmm. you could like make a new ad the next day, um, that's a good point. Like let the ad run for a couple of days, say three to five, just because it will fluctuate. Like it always will change. Um, it's very quick to get that that feedback from Facebook or AdWords as far as the cost per lead versus when it's a longer process. You need people. You need a lot longer time. Awesome. Well, let's uh, cool. let's dive into the news. And this one, uh, the first article we've got here is about SEO pricing. Ooh. Um, so we've good. really started talking a lot more publicly about SEO and its importance at Do You Convert with our with our builder partners and and on this podcast, simply because it is one of those things, kind of like email marketing at times, where everyone talked about it so much for so long, uh, for so many years that eh, it's kind of like okay, we we either check we we think we did that or it's just boring or is it really that important anymore newsflash it is, it is. still very yes. important 
Um, but this article kind of takes a different spin on it and really shows how much nationally, again, averages are people investing, how, how expensive are consultants and freelancers in this space? Yeah. And this is definitely one to take a look at like on the article itself, because averages are averages. Um, so here's a snippet I pulled out of it to make it easy. In the US, $2,500 to $5,000 a month was the most popular pricing tier. Um, but that just means that's the data point. That's the most popular one. I forgot the percent that charged that much, but there's plenty that were five to 1,000 and then one to 1,500 and different prices. Um, and then another one is on average, those serving the SEO agencies serving the worldwide market charge 130% more than those serving the local market. Um, so that's just the average. Of course, it, it, it does differ if you're depending on who you're working with. Um, so my question for you, Kevin, is do you think, and you kind of already answered this, that SEO is underinvested by, by most people, both in time with the marketers on site with the builder, and then as well as what they're spending with the vendor to assist them or to handle all the SEO? Do you think that is a underinvested area? Um, yes, but I think it's it's not just because builders are cheap i think or or that they don't want to i think there it doesn't make sense to invest the kind of dollars they're talking about 2500 to 5000 dollars a month until you know that the basics have been taken care of and and seo companies like unimetrics and and others will you know they'll do audits that will kind of give you a grade and show you things to go work on. But even they will, you know, the, the trustworthy ones will say, Hey, you, you could pay us a whole bunch of money, but the reality is that we're telling you what to go, like, just follow this prescription and you <laughs> will <it>. feel better <laughs> from the SEO doctor. Right. Um, That's right there. Yes, and so who's that? when we, when we see the 2,500 to $5,000 a month, those ranges, this really is getting more into assistance with content creation not just technical or local SEO levels. So if you, you go back to listen uh, to when we had Andrew Garberson from Metrics on and the different kind of pillars of SEO strategy, but the technical stuff, you know, you, you can work with that with the web developer once you have an audit or know where the weak points are. Mm -hmm. But that's where I think when you say underinvested, yeah, I would say in generally builders are underinvesting in content of any kind, photography, videos. Uh, and so actual written content that that can be indexed by by search engines for sure um, because most builders don't even have a description of every floor plan in terms of why does this floor plan exist why do we design gotcha. it what makes it unique how does it feel so when you talk about next level um yeah we're builders are still generally far far behind Gotcha. And, and I remember a, bit, a good point that Andrew made on that podcast he he said the overall theme for SEO is that you're answering a question that they're typing in as far as the goal uh -huh. of the SEO content on the website. You do have it for Google, of course, to index something, um, but it's to answer and solve what they're looking for. I like it. Yeah. And that, that way, I, I even just like the way that thinking about that puts it in the right perspective, which is if you're creating content to solve the question that you know your customers have, eventually the algorithms are all continually trying to optimize getting people the answer that's best for them. So you don't have good content, you don't have a good answer, all this other stuff, even if it gives you a short-term gain, long-term, Google or Facebook or whoever is going to figure out that you're not benefiting their customers, which are also your customers. Definitely. And that was number 12, episode number 12. 
with Andrew. Episode 12. This one is fun because it has a really cool domain name. (laughs) (laughs) So here it is. Stopcraponthemap.com. Stopcraponthemap.com. That rhymes really well. So it's a a tool that checks for um, malicious or fake fraud reviews on Google Maps. And what it does, they have some type of algorithm set up where it checks where that person left their reviews and the frequency and i'm sure a bunch of other parameters but you know if i myself andrew peak have a google account and i leave a review here in tampa florida and then there's one in columbus and then there's another one in san francisco and it's all for carpet cleaning that would make no sense because i can't really live in those places if it's within the constraint of say two weeks or three weeks that would be flagged. Uh-huh. Um, so it has this built-in parameters that will pull up like, hey, this is possibly fake or, or uh, malicious. I did a quick test um, with a few builders and I found one that was, I'm like, oh, that, that makes sense because it showed the locations. But they bought the home from a builder. Before that, they had their home inspected. And then they also had a, a realtor. So like all three of those make sense. And it was a relocation. It looks like the person moved from Alabama to Georgia. So it looked like it was, oh, that's that's fake. That's not good. They're yeah. all positives, but it was just, oh, that's just a situation. Um, but it yeah, did flag well, I, it, I still like so. the way that it just flagged it as suspicious mm-hmm. because yeah. maybe if those were the only three reviews that that person had ever given. And they were, which I'm like, that that was weird. It's like, you just decided to start leaving Google reviews, which. And in a short period of time, because mm-hmm. they went through that process of moving. So yeah. again, I, I think what's important is this is not a, a 100% proven tool that works. But in terms of, for builders who have a large number of Google reviews, just to do a quick spot check and and catch some of the ones that have medium or high suspicion, do a little bit of digging. Because if you can, with reasonable suspicion, you know, prove to Google that you think this may be an inaccurate, um, by their terms of service, you can petition to have that review removed. Mm-hmm. Um, so definitely something to check out and and play around with just don't don't obsess with it just yet definitely tell us about this next one because it relates kind of to uh, pcbc yeah i thought this was this is one that's from ad age and the headline is the real worry isn't machines thinking like humans it's humans thinking like machines and basically <laughs> the the wrap up here is you know ai and machine learning and deep learning are all creating these and we talked about a pcbc at length some of these just wow jaw-dropping um, things that, that computers can do. But but the article, what it talks about, one of the things that they can't do is really think um, off the rails, meaning in a, com- a contrarian perspective. It's going to look at the data and, and analyze it, but AIs don't like risk. They don't like um, being uncreative is kind of the way they talk about it. It, it doesn't make inspired leaps. If, if it can't see that A plus B might lead you to C, it's not going to try it necessarily just because. And so what it's talking about here is the real danger is as machines start to spit out data um, and, and inform human beings that humans might kind of take on that same characteristic of, well, you know, we think this makes perfect sense based upon my 20 years of experience in home building. And I've talked to every customer I've sold in the last, like, I really feel like this is the feature or you know, that we need to add to our homes, but you know, Watson says no. So I'm not even going to think about it anymore. I'm just going to, whatever the computer says, I'm going to go with it. And really this idea of, are we going to outsource our own um, creative thinking ability to computers because we're just going to start trusting them 
implicitly with the data that they that they provide to us. Did you read it and feel like it was a, a little negative, like biased against AI, or was I a little? I didn't have enough coffee this morning, and I was grumpy reading it. <laughs> I didn't see the something. bias against it okay. so much as just saying humans need to hang on to the humanity that they have. I mean, at the gotcha. end of it. It's saying, hey, creativity is fueled not by bits and bytes. It's powered by things like storytelling, emotion, and humor. It makes people look at things in big new ways. It doesn't just dust off the small old things and serve them up more efficiently. AI is a tool, and like all tools, it can be dangerous if not used responsibly. I think it's saying it's here and it can do amazing stuff. But if you just say, well, you know, I'm just going to trust that data again implicitly gotcha. and not think creatively, not add storytelling, emotion, or humor to it, then yeah, you, you're going to become just like another machine. And that's losing a part of what makes humans unique, that ability to, to take what he calls inspired leaps beyond what the data is just showing at face value. That makes sense. That makes sense. It'll be interesting to see how that would test, going back to my story, um, how AI would help with testing new ads. And I guess it could potentially just do it on its own as far as like. Yeah, or it might. I mean, again, it, depending on how the AI is taught and trained, it stops trying to get better. I think that's the danger he's talking about, Andrew, is just it says, you know what? We've tried 5,000 different ads in the past week mm -hmm. or the past hour or whatever, and we never got better than a dollar. So we're going to give up on this for a while. Give up on this. Yep. Versus. Instead of saying, mm -hmm. pulling back to last week, instead of saying, how about barn doors? You know what? We haven't done any ads with barn doors in it. We get lots of feedback from folks in the model homes that they really like that feature. So how's the AI going to even know that that exists mm -hmm. if the data isn't being fed into it you know, correctly? It's true. Oh. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be cool to see what happens. Ooh, this next one is on, what's that? MartechToday.com. Is third-party mm -hmm. data targeting more effective than contextual targeting? Um, so yeah, let's be, break down what those ooh, things are. Those first. are third party words. data targeting and contextual targeting. <laughs> they are big words. Um, so third party data, that's what we're losing with Facebook. Um, so data sources that have insights as far as on your, your cookie data, you're on all these different websites that's tied to you somehow personally, but then it's, they strip all the personally identifying information. I think it's PII might be the term. Mm -hmm. I could be completely mm -hmm. wrong on that. Um, so it's to you, but it's not to you. It's to a number, which is, that's like some big brother stuff still. But they know that, hey, your, your interest is this. Here's like your credit score potentially and all these tons of different data points. And then contextual in this example would be what the site is about. Um, so in the yep. context of the site. So is it on a new, new site? Is it on a um, home building site? Is it on, what is it on? Third-party data, typically you pay, like in this instance, it's display advertising. You'd pay like mm -hmm. an additional dollar, $2 or whatever it is per CPM or per 1,000 displays of your ad. You just layer on the cost onto that that you'd pay. Um, contextual, you would just pick the website. And so it's, it's cheaper. It's, it's more cost-effective. And what they found was, and they just, their test on this was just gauging the click-through rate, which should imply interest in the product was almost identical for the third party versus the contextual. What I love about this article, honestly, is Andrew, how many times have we seen someone who's using a service like AdRoll or AdTaxi? Um, what are some other ones? Um, there's, uh, there's a bunch and they, they, then they like white label them. So then it, <laughs> it gets even harder, yep. like a DSP. Yep. Um, 
Yeah, there's yep. a bunch. A lot of money, usually. And every single time we see that the value that these things are providing in terms of actual quality traffic to your website are nowhere near what the overhead cost is for using their quote unquote proprietary data and insight into customer behavior, blah, 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 jargon, jargon, blah, blah, blah. Yes, Um, exactly. Really expensive kind of statement that they Mm -hmm. make. I mean, I'm I'm on Ad Taxi right now and this is the way we do digital. Well, there's nothing proprietary truly that they're able to do. They might scrub data a little bit uh, against different platforms or where where it's coming from and, and analyze it in a slightly different way. But what this article, what, what we have seen just by interacting with home builders around the country is not um, you know empirical in any way. And I just like the fact that this is an actual test that said, hey, if we just use our brains and focus banner ads being displayed on sites that make sense contextually about what they're related to. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of doing it old school and just saying, show the ads here versus using this, you know, high overhead, expensive platform to deliver at the end of the day, the same creative, but supposedly to a much more targeted audience. The results are almost exactly the same. Yeah. In fact, it's 0.01% it was, different. Yes. 0.01. <laughs> and I'm sure if you looked at it the next 30 days, it could flip flop. And so it's, it's the same thing. Um, you might as mm-hmm. well not pay for it. And then those numbers, you could just yep. go straight to Facebook and have it have it done a lot better. I think part of this is just the bigger companies need to spend and by, uh, I mean like consumer packaged goods need to spend a lot of money. And this is just a area that they could spend money for their marketing budget. Um, you almost always see their, their logos on the, on like ad taxi on like their website as far as like, Hey, this is a client of ours. Yes. We're not in that category. (laughs) Billion dollar marketing budget. Right. But there are builders out there who will feel good about being associated with the same mm-hmm. banner display company that Pizza Hut is using. Hut. I just don't don't include me as one of those yeah. <laughs> just because you know, macaroni and cheese uh, is and pizza is being used by this platform doesn't mean it, it translates to to home builders at all. Yep. So exactly. I just love the fact that it was it was some data pointed to what we've always seen. But people tend to struggle with this idea of. You can't just pay twice as much and get four times better results. No, no. You got to do the hard work. Mm-hmm. And that's it on the news. That's it. Awesome. Well, that's we'll it. take a quick break and we'll come back to our 360 topic of the week, which is stealing from your competition. It's home builders. Uh, favorite uh, sporting activity is way back to Andrew. I used to have a work with a sales rep named the hammer mm-hmm. called him Steve, the hammer Nixon um, hammer. at Miranda nice. homes in Columbus, Ohio. and he would literally just stand outside of his model home and the competitor's model would be across mm-hmm. the street. And as traffic units were leaving that model, he would just wave at them, say, Hey, come on over here and you can save 25 grand. Give me five minutes. I'll explain how we can give you the same house for 25 grand <laughs> less. <laughs> kind of like that, nice. but we're going to go digital of course, because this is the year 2018. We'll be right back. We're back. Now, stealing is not a nice word. Swiper, no swipe. (laughs) Swiper, no (laughs) swiping. That's right. Between your three and my four, we've heard that uh, already. Too many. Too many times in our lives. So no one wants your own 
customers to be swiped by the competition. That, that's mm-hmm. defensive marketing. We're not trying to talk about that at all today. What we're talking about now is being on the offensive, going out and taking from your competition. Now, let's frame competition first. Real quick, your, comp- your biggest competition is always... Yourself. Used homes. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> you, yeah, yourself as a marketer, often, that's yes, that's good. But used homes in terms of product or doing nothing, deciding not mm-hmm. to move at all is your mm-hmm. biggest competitor. But of course, there's also those nasty other uh, home builders who just want to take market share away from that's you. Right. So, jerks. Andrew, let's just dive right in. I want to I want to throw out the single most popular thing that we see people advertise their ability to do or, or get excited when they hear about this opportunity, which is geofencing your competitors' models. Ooh, it sounds so fancy. And that word is, I don't like that word geofencing because I think it means different things to different people. Um, mm-hmm. like you will always want to run campaigns with a geofence, like a geo target, like that's always going to happen. So when it says, Hey, should we geofence this? It's like, well, we, we are geofencing. <laughs> what do you mean? That's always going to be something to do, but this would be putting a, say a one to two mile radius around competitors models. Mm-hmm. And then running Facebook ads to all the people typically in there, because if you run Say if you're on Facebook and you run to the that one mile radius and then to people who like Zillow or or whatever other characteristics, it might be too small. It actually won't really display the ad too many times just because Facebook, I don't know, somehow their algorithm just doesn't like that. So you really have to loosen up. I want to show this ad to everybody that lives or is this is within that one mile radius. Um, the thing to think about with this is you likely already are advertising to that model. If you're going, yep. say, like five to 10 miles within that community area. But if you're reaching outside of that, like if you have a community that's, um, I'm pointing at this fictitious dot on my, in the map in the air right now, um, here, and you have a 10 mile radius around it. And then there's a competitor community that is 15 miles north. And then you do a one mile yep. radius around that. Is that actually a competitor? Can you actually pull people from that community? to visit your model or to call you to look at your website? Um, I would say no. I mean, of course, depends on where you live. But if you're not marketing up that way anyways, then why do this extra step and spend extra money on the competitors when that's not who you believe will actually want to buy in your community? Well, I think there are use cases where that that could apply. But before I break down that, I, I just want to echo my agreement to your, generally speaking, in most communities around the country, your cities around the country, um, you know, the smallest radius that you can target people using Facebook or Instagram ads is, is a one mile radius. Mm-hmm. And so more than likely, you know, yeah, you would have to target the competitor's model home, put a one mile radius around it, and then target everyone in there to make sure that you would get exposure to everyone that went to the model home. You're also, by the way, going to get exposure to everyone who just simply visits a friend in a in a house nearby or a yep. business nearby, potentially. So a lot of potential waste there. It's not as targeted as it truly sounds. What makes this work when people or, or feel like it works is when you see the, the numbers come in from this type of campaign, they're going to be able to show you, wow, look, you got 700 visits from this campaign. But that's simply because social media advertising does so well on its own. It's not because you're mm-hmm. targeting just the people in their model home and they said, yes, I'm going to go check that out. Now, that 
where this can work out is in places like California, um, really um, dense markets where you may be having to choose between places that are 10 miles apart that are both viable options. Yep. Um, so here in Columbus, it's really hard because if you're looking in Northwest Columbus, that's you're not going to consider Northeast. But I have talked to folks before who, you know, we'll look at it, we'll be looking at the map and we'll see a competitor neighborhood that is 10, 12 miles away. And I would say, is that really your competition? Really? Because they're so far away. And they would say, absolutely. You know, we know we have lost four or five sales from people who, who priced out with us and ended up going over there. Well, then that is an instance where drawing that one mile radius, uh, you know, 10, 15 miles away may make sense. Definitely. The other is product types. So if it's an empty nester community and there's only two or three of those in your metro area, but they are different geographies, then again, those those being spread out may not be as much of a detriment um, as you might think um, in terms of in terms of targeting those people. So, so product type, generally speaking, location, yeah, product type. Those, I don't know what you what would want to call that location characters, like the California example um, versus mm -hmm. Columbus locality, I guess. That'd be two good examples. Yeah, I like that with the the product type, I think, is a big one, especially if it's a if it's a condos, if it's you know, luxury or if it's active adult lifestyle, that whole term 55 plus. Yeah, yeah, that's that's huge. And there's outside of the age targeted ones, if you just look at, you know, high end um, custom communities with homes on one acre, they may not be your direct competition so much as just, oh, I'd never considered that area before. But if I saw your ad and it was significantly less expensive, now maybe suddenly I am considering that as an alternative and I wasn't before. So I think because it can be relatively inexpensive, if you do it yourself, and that's kind of the main point on this geofencing your competitor models is you get just like our last news article, you don't need a fancy platform or someone that you're paying a thousand dollars a month retainer to just mm -hmm. to run these type of campaigns. Oh. These can all be easily created and done um, within AdWords or Facebook. Any of those, any of those platforms can let you geo target effectively. The only other thing maybe we should talk about for a brief second, Andrew is, is what the heck are beacons and how that, may or may not change the game as they become more widely adopted. You want to yeah, beacons. jump on that So one? beacons are back to like a month or two ago when we got the August door lock. It emits a Bluetooth signal. And mm -hmm. so a beacon is essentially the same thing. So it could detect that for me. Um, my office is at like 0.7 miles from my house. Once I'm like 0.2, so like almost home, it detects that I am near the house and it says, great, we're glad to see you home. We're unlocking your front door just because that's the options we have set up. So steal my phone. You could get into my, get into my house if you want. So it's the same type of thing where it's, you have to be that close to it and it could advertise mm -hmm. to people that are that, that close to it. Um, yeah. So basically what the mile radius on Facebook ads, but a beacon radius is as small or as narrowly targeted as the the distance that you can get away from a Bluetooth device, which is around what fifty hundred feet. Yeah, it's, it's pretty small. I think, and I think some of them are they have like I forgot the technology, but they go a little bit more. Boosters. But then there's yeah, yeah, there's but I think you could. I'm sure the fancy ones you could control. That way, you're not targeting people that are like you know the neighbor down this way is always getting this notification that like hey, new <laughs> homes from this twenty five thousand dollar incentive if you move in. Um, this month or if you buy this month. 
So yeah, yeah pretty neat. Definitely something to to check out. It's it's on the horizon. Facebook's testing it. I know other large companies are testing it so that you no longer just have to use the loyalty rewards card. You don't actually have to scan it. They'll just know that you're there. when the Bluetooth connection is made with your device that, oh, Kevin Oakley's back in the store again. Yeah. Um, That's good because I do not like reward cards. I'm like, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> no, why. I agree. Are you? I kind of like it's bad. Yeah, just that nasty little chipped thing of plastic on the end of your I key know. ring. Or something like, extra in your wallet. Or this? they're like, hey, are you a preferred customer? This was me last week. I'm like, no, I guess I'm unpreferred, right? And they looked at me like, <laughs> I didn't expect you to say something kind of smart. I'm like, <laughs> like I'm just kidding. Yeah, no, the key, ring, the key ring app is great. You can get rid of most of that stuff off of your phone, off of your keychain and put it in the key ring app. Um, I've, I've definitely loved using that anyway Anyway, back to back to real life stealing from your competition um this other one is called using in-market audiences so these are people who based upon their behavior um and geography have been selected by an algorithm as people who are predetermined to be in the market for uh what it is that you're trying to sell and that there's gosh dozens if not a hundred different category breakouts from cars, boats, everything, mortgages, homes, uh, pretty much everything in there. So big advertisers, tell us what, um, how would you use in market audiences, um, to get your message out? Yep. So yeah. So in market, um, with Google, they give you, it's cool. It goes, um, real estate and then residential and then new homes and pre-owned, I believe. Yeah. Pre-owned is what Google calls it. So the way this is getting your stealing from your competitors is even if they have not been onto your website. So if they're performing searches, new homes in Columbus, and they go to three different uh, builder sites, they will likely get into this end market audience. You could then advertise to them, say with Gmail ads. Um, usually the cost per click is very efficient. Um, the thing mm-hmm. to keep in mind with that is that's the cost to open the email in the Gmail ad, it's not getting them to your website. Um, and then YouTube ads, you could do videos to the to those people in the NMARC audiences on YouTube. And then also with the NMARC audiences, you can show display ads. Um, those, of course, will vary. The performance will vary quite a bit. Which is okay um, if you're not paying someone yeah. else a CPM basis mm-hmm. to display them for you. If you're doing it yourself, great. I only have a 0.4% click-through rate. No problem. I'm only paying essentially then $400 for my hundred thousand. Yeah. It should be really, really um, efficient. And and I've tested some coming soon with this. It's not as exciting with, with Facebook ads, but um, usually you can get leads for like five to $10 with the in market audiences with the new home audience being much more efficient, but there's also much less. Mm-hmm. So as far as a budget thing, just only spend money on the people who are in market for new homes and you might, you might max yep. out not spending too much money, but you know that those people are very likely you know, quality. And you can look at your analytics and see how much time they spent on your site, how many pages they view, all those things to see, okay, is this a similar visit to organic or Google um, ads? Google ads, not Google AdWords anymore. To, to your Google, your typical Google ads uh, from <laughs> search, from the search network. Then we've got newhomesource.com, which is owned by the BDX, which you know we love uh, using newhomesource.com in markets where we get a lot of these recommended leads. And what that means is the way that that the platform works is if I select Happy Acres and I ask for more information from the sales team at Happy Acres at New Home Source, it will 
not only send my request to the folks at Happy Acres, but also to somewhere between, I think, three to five other home builders or communities that are similar in, in price and, and product type to Happy Acres. And so that you are essentially paying New Home Source to get those recommended leads and truly try to out uh, maneuver, out follow up, respond faster than your competitors in order to quote unquote, steal those leads. I'm sure that's not how BDX wants to use uh, the word steal associated with it. We're just having some fun with the word, but mm -hmm. essentially recommended leads mean you have the opportunity to join the conversation when you didn't previously. So that one's just pretty cut and dry. Yeah. The only thing to check for there is if you're not getting a high enough volume of recommended leads for the amount of money you're paying in a monthly basis, or your current follow-up process uh, or your team isn't really trying their best to work with those leads, then sometimes it's not worth your investment. I was going to say, is there a different angle they need to take as far as that type of lead versus a lead from the website? Is there like a quick, like biggest thing is kind of introduce yourself instead of assuming, you know, typically your follow-up process is just diving right into um, what it was information they asked about. So if they asked about happy acres, you're telling about happy acres with recommended leads from newhomesource.com, you can't just jump right in and say, thanks for requesting information from a ABC Builder because they may not have actually asked for information about you. Gotcha. So you have to explain to them how you got their information. Hey, we were given your name as someone who's looking for new homes in this area of town. I'm proactively reaching out to see if I could be of assistance, et cetera. You have to kind of introduce yourself and who you are and the value add instead of just immediately responding to uh, an assumption of what you think it is they're, they're looking gotcha. for. Cool. And then another one, we have Google AdWords, and this would be on the search network where you're actually bidding on competitor terms. Um, I have feelings about this. <laughs> some people yeah. like it. Some people don't like it. Some people are in between. Um, my thoughts, typically it's just this path to paying too much money per click to because it's based on performance with Google search or have this the auction set up and then eventually having your name being bid on by your competitors if they're not doing it already. Um, that's kind of where that's where like the, the fork in the road is is a competitor bidding on my brand then I kind of have to bid on my own brand is the first you have to set that mm -hmm. up yourself um, which should be efficient. But then some people are like, well, if they're bidding on me, I got to bid on them. And then you're both just spending all this money to bid on each other. Um, and sometimes you'll, you'll get like, your SC would be like, hey, people are calling and they're asking for this XYZ builder. And you'll get that feedback. And it's like, oh, shoot, I'm just wasting, <laughs> just wasting money and people's time because they're looking for someone else. Yeah. Um, we find that about 20% of the time that that ad is displayed when someone searches for your competitor name. Maybe if you're good, you're really good, 20% of the time, they may click on your ad, which seems like a victory. Yep. But then when you look at the bounce rate on that, it tends to be exceedingly high because as soon as they, they land on it and they realize it's not the person they were looking for, you know, essentially the strategy that you're hoping pans out when you're bidding on competitor um, brand names in AdWords or in Google Ads, we're going to take us a while to get it used is. to that, um, is that they click on the brand name they're looking for the first time and then they're still not quite satisfied with that company and they decide to do the same search and you know we've all had that experience of going to the second third or fourth 
add in the results just to see what shows up. But by that point, you could have more effectively and for less money probably got them another way. Yep, I agree. I agree. All right, and then the super secret one here is the the free prize inside bonus is the using lookalike audiences to inform the marketing that you're doing. And so this kind of combines the in-market audience idea, but it uses at its core the information that you have in your own CRM about the people who have already connected with you, either in a model home or on the website. So you're using that as the core and then saying, okay, these are the kind of people who interact with us as a builder in the model or via the web. Now let's look for people who look like those people using the different channels and, and platforms that are available in, in digital marketing today. And so again, it's, it's very similar an idea of using in-market audiences because that person may look like Kevin Oakley who went to your model home, but in fact, they may have gone to a different builder, but because they have similar um, psychographic and demographic profiles, we're essentially able to use an in-market like strategy to someone who's never been to see us. Yep. And those, yeah, those um, are created um, as a custom audience on Facebook. And then you can create a lookalike based on that custom audience. And then AdWords, although they're not as popular in AdWords, um, they're called similar lists too. So you still have to upload it to AdWords or Google ads and then mm -hmm. create these similar lists to that. Um, definitely a more popular thing on Facebook. Um, you do have yeah. to have a fair amount of leads to make sure it, it does work well. Um, and you want to make sure you have good data because Facebook does get kind of weird if you upload a list and then you know 80% of it is is not accurate and they think you're trying to do something malicious as far as like you've you got these emails not by permission or something that's especially after their their updates in april so just make sure it's clean as far as like take the spaces out if there's a spaces or if there's duplicate emails um just just do your mm -hmm. your quality check before you upload it um, but not something to stress the out other, over. just keep it clean no no the other um kind of lookalike audience tool that you can use in the rare instance where a competitor of yours really uh, seems to be gaining traction from Twitter. I know, don't laugh. I'm sure there's one out there. There's one. Um, Twitter, <laughs> Twitter actually lets you target ads simply by people who look like those who follow a different Twitter user. So uh, real estate agents in particular, if you've got one agent who's dominating the market and you just want to piggyback on all the exposure that they're getting, you can target Twitter ads to be displayed just to people who follow or, or look like those people who follow that main com competitor. Yep. Very nice. All right. So that we, we kind of compiled all those into what we jokingly called kind of the flat out stealing um, method where, where you could, in theory, again, reach someone who has never been out to see you, gain exposure and steal them away from your competitor. But let's take a moment, Andrew, and just talk about stealing by not giving up. I like that. So persistence. Simply by I like it. persistence, not outright theft. No theft, no thievery, no swiping, no swiping. <laughs> so the first one, um, and this follows into online sales world, OSC would be online, would be long-term follow-up prospecting. This would be remarketing after 90 days. Mm -hmm. So 90 to, I believe, 365. 540 days might be the limit with Google ads, which would be insane. I've never done 540 days. That would be insane. Like a year and a half, but let's say 90 to 180 days um, would be like a good separate category to, to go into. Um, 
Yep. So it's good. Ideally, you'd have, in my mind, that's very good for video, YouTube, to have it that long. Um, just because they've likely not seen that. And people's, I, I, in my opinion, I think people's YouTube behavior is different than Google. If they're like a frequent website user, because I think there's a fair amount of people that go to Facebook every day, three, four, five, ten times a day, but they might actually go into mm-hmm. a website to read the article or, or some other purpose, maybe not every day. Um, so that'd be remarking. But then YouTube will be a similar thing. They'll be the ones that are on YouTube all the time. And then the other ones that are just on YouTube, maybe once a week every other week or once a month. Um, so that will fit there. So YouTube, and then of course, display network for marketing plus 90 days. You need your analytics tag on your site and then you have to set up that audience is what Facebook is, what Google would call that. And then the same thing for Facebook, the custom audience for people who've been on your website within the past 180 days or within the past 90 days. And the key here really is most people who are doing remarketing are stopping 30 to 45 days mm-hmm. in saying if, if that person hasn't come back in 30 to 45 days, give up. And what we know is that still, you know, millennials are buying fastest ever, but it's, it's still averaging about three months from the time they start doing research. And so at least 90 days to 180 days as a second or, or primary remarketing, um, you know, going, just going the full 180 days. And this circles back to, when I was talking about Peloton several months ago, I would not own a Peloton bike today if they gave up after 30 or 60 days of remarketing. I feel like it was a solid six months, maybe even longer from the time I thought, man, I'd love to have one of those bikes to the time I actually purchased. And that was a sentiment echoed by four other Peloton bike owners when I went to dinner with them uh, in in San Francisco last week at, at PCBC. They all said the same thing. That's just, they were relentless in their remarketing efforts on all platforms. If you, if you watched, you know, one video on their website about how the product worked, they had you for the next six months. And did they vary the content over that six months where you weren't, you weren't showing the same ad for six months, I would assume, right? It was, I mean, honestly, I don't, I don't know that it was dramatically different, but it did seem to come in waves. Gotcha. Or just be spaced out where I didn't notice them consistently. You know, it was kind of like every couple of weeks I would see three or four in a spurt mm-hmm. and then they would go away. And so it would hit me in these waves of where, where the creative always, I didn't see it often enough to get um, bored or, or to just kind of block it out entirely. Sounds like a fun test to set up. If it's like a long-term follow-up, like, all right, we're going to get these people for five days in a row with everything we got and they're going to turn it off, uh, which would be, you'd have to include and exclude different audiences. So like day 85 to, to 90, yep. they get ads, but then days hundred through 115, they get ads, but between those times they don't get any ads. That'd be interesting. I don't know if there's any for, a, for e-commerce. I mean, Google ads. Why would you not? Yeah. It's Google ads where so you're not cheap. paying per impression. Mm-hmm. Do it. Facebook would still be expensive. Yes. Instagram would still be an expensive mm-hmm. proposition. Do it that way. Or but, switching channels. Yeah. I like yeah. that one. So we can be persistent with our remarketing. We can be persistent with our actual follow-up from either hopefully the online uh, salesperson or sales team, but also, of course, those folks in the model home using the CRM. But guys, all we have to do, we've said this time and time again from every follow-up study we've done since 2000, oh gosh, 2012, I think was the first one, but you know, more than one phone call and more than two emails in a 30 to 45 day period, you are, you are doing better than the top 3%. 
Now everyone else is giving up typically after one attempt in, e in each and only after a couple of weeks. If there's no response, they're simply giving up. So just wow. be persistent with your follow-up. Have that long-term follow-up message uh, email going out at least once a month to everyone in the system that hasn't purchased yet. And then the last one in terms of not giving up is, uh, again, a little bit techie, but I think um, one that still a lot of people don't understand. So, yeah. Andrew, t explain to people what, what, what I mean by RLSA, Google Ad RLSA. campaigns. I'm trying to figure out how to say that. I don't think there's a way to roll, roll stuff. I don't know. They can't say it. Um, but what it is <laughs> is remarketing lists for search ads. So if people go to your website and then 45 days later, they perform another Google search where they're typing in a keyword that you're bidding on. Um, so say new homes in Columbus, they did that on day 45. If you have RLSA campaigns or just that audience added to your campaign, you can then bid on those mm -hmm. people differently from other, from the typical keywords in that group. So if you had a, say a $2 bid on all your keywords, but then on your on this mm -hmm. audience, you're you're going, hey, I think my theory is that if I get these people who've previously been to my website, even if it was 45 days ago, if they come back again, they're twice as likely to convert it to a lead. So I'm going to pay four dollars up to four dollars. So you'll win the auction at that time. And ideally, you'll be like the number one up there to get that click from that person. So it's just remarketing for search ads um, with the understanding that you ideally are paying more or you're bidding more. Otherwise, the result is kind of the same because they'll show up anyways yep. in that campaign because you're bidding on those keywords. So it's all about that bid adjustment um, and, and getting those, those people. Let me ask you a, a pretty common question on these. Does the term that I'm doing have to be the same as the original search? So if someone clicked on an ad for New Homes, Columbus, Ohio, mm -hmm. came on my website and then later did a search for homes in Columbus, Ohio, could I have a different bid strategy essentially for folks looking at existing homes if they've previously clicked on a new home yep, ad? You could. So um, in the e-commerce world, that's common where they'll just really loosen up the targeting. So if they typed in, um, I don't know any shoe names because I'm, I don't just don't, but like Nike XYZ shoe <laughs> and they type that in. Now we got this group of uh -huh. people who are really into shoes, like they know the names, all that stuff. And now we want to go after that segment. We'll call them enthusiasts or something. And then we could create a new campaign going after people who type in, in who type in shoes. So you capture all those people. So the same thing could be done with if they type in new homes, Columbus on day one, they go to your website 45 days later, they're still searching and they type in homes for sale, Columbus. You could have ideally, and this is just to have the data separate. You have a different campaign for those people for the RSA with the looser keyword terms, say it's broad match and it's. Yeah resale but the volume should be lower because it's not going to be say you spend a 1500 a month on your normal new home related keywords you might spend say 200 to 300 dollars on on these looser terms for people who previously have been to your website of course that depends on how much traffic you get how many places you build in and and all that but yeah ideally you have that separate yep so i think that's that's a definitely an underutilized opportunity um, for those who, again, you're just not giving up because then what about, well, let me ask you this, oh. Andrew, RLSA using competitor names, you still feel the same way? Like if they previously came to my website oh. by looking for new homes? You know, I think I still feel the same way. Um, it it too, would, be, would be, well, you bring up a point <laughs> that like, hey, is that like, is that like an 
easy marketing metric as far as like, man, well, people go on a website and then 40% of them end up going to XYZ competitor as far as people that mm -hmm. then search somewhere else. But you probably already know that anyways, as far as, far as like it's just in a different, that's somewhere else like, okay, we lose X amount of sales to this competitor or just the market share for yeah. that price range in that, in that area. You might know that, but that's a good trick question. <laughs> All right. Well, that'll do it for this week's 360 topic. Again, don't obsess about your competition, but there's definitely several different tactics that we talked about here that make sense to do. And the other one is uh, the other main takeaway is just don't um, fall prey to those people who are touting a new or unseen before incapable way of doing this anyone else anyway any other way except through me um, almost all these tactics in fact all these tactics do not require any special access nope. data or algorithm that Just you couldn't do time yourself. and believing you could do it especially the more technical stuff like <laughs> you could do it. just follow the steps there's almost i think every one of these has there's a guide out there um yeah yeah so you could do it you can, you do, can do it, it. you can do, do it, it. All right, we'll take one final quick break and then we'll be back with this week's question of the week. All right, and we are back with the answers from the last question of the week, which was, what industry conferences would you recommend others attend? What is your favorite part of attending them or what specific ideas have you applied from them that have had an impact? Kevin, you have some answers. Yeah, this is uh, this is a tough one to it answer, was. right? But it there was. were a couple uh, brave souls out there who dove right in. One of which is Sean Carpenter, who said Inman Connect is always a fun one. Now that Inman Connect um, is takes place both in San Francisco and New York City, so either coast you can get to, cool. and it's for existing home folks, uh, brokers and agents primarily. However, it can be a great um, place to go and hear similar but different conversations that we have in the home building space. If you've really tired out on other conferences, um, specifically related to new homes, uh, M&Connect Connect can be a great refresher to get some outside, outside influences. Um, I think that's great. And the other, he also says, I enjoyed attending the rebar events in Nashville, Jacksonville, and Omaha for open dialogues and personal engagement. So uh, rebar, if I'm thinking correctly, because Sean's explained this to me at breakfast before, is where they have different topics at the table at check-in, and then people just pick them up and agree to present on those. And, and no hmm. salesmanship is allowed, but it's kind of like this um, looser idea yes. of a conference. Interesting. And so people just kind of group into these little segments who are interested in a topic, and, and someone dives in and, and takes it on. So um, thanks, Sean, for diving in on that. Charlie Murphy. Says the SMA Summit in Orlando. Now this is a, uh, it's called the Best Home Building Practices uh, Summit, um, and it's put on by Bob Schultz and Bob Witten. I believe are the two main hosts. They have a ton of different speakers, um, but Charlie, what Charlie's talking about specifically here is kind of the blocking and tackling of the business itself, um, not necessarily sales and marketing related, although they do have some classes and tracks on that, but kind of just the basics of home building. Um, and I would tend to agree. There's there's nowhere, at least I've never been, but looking at the topic range being covered, if you have no idea what gross profit and net profit are, um, what those numbers should look like, uh, what a construction schedule is, there's you know if you wanted to go to one place to to learn a lot of that stuff, it seems like this one would be a good one. Carrie Woodward, um, 
Thanks, Carrie. She says the Do Convert <laughs> Online Sales and Marketing Summit in all caps. In all caps. Uh, Lovely. And Garrett uh, and Martha seem to agree with her. Valerie Heritage also says, hey, I, I agree with the Do Convert Conference. She also did like the Zillow New Home Construction Summit, uh, which is an event that they put on once a year for builders who advertise on their platform. I think it's like all expenses paid too, which is awesome, Andrew. Um, Very nice. That is not the case with our event. It's not. Uh, you do have to it buy your not. own plane ticket and book, you know. But um, Zillow, again, they tend to bring in a speaker or two who are completely from the outside. Sometimes it hits, sometimes it doesn't. But generally speaking, the, those folks put on a fantastic event. You get cowboy hats and um, oh, great, great food. And nice. Where do they usually uh, have good, them? Good overall experience. That one is that in Texas? Uh, I think they've had it in Nashville, Nashville. this okay. year. I think it's in Seattle. Seattle. Okay. Um, All over. So, yeah, I don't know that they're going to like that. I'm going to say this, but if if you spend money on Zillow and you weren't invited, call your Call your Zillow rep and just ask. No reason. Yeah. I mean, they can always tell you no, right? That's the worst thing that can happen. It's the worst. All right. Very this cool. week's question of the week is what, Andrew? It is, what do you think about holiday-related campaigns? Are they effective or do you simply be, or do you do them simply because it's an excuse to post something? Ooh. Yeah. So like mm -hmm. car dealerships do this all the time, they right? Do. Every holiday, big or small, is an excuse for some sale. July 4th. But I don't now. know that. Yeah. That's yeah, every every holiday, isn't it? I'm thinking President's back to Day, President's Day, Memorial Day. You're like, do I wait until it's Labor Day to buy a car? I don't know. Well, I'm not a fan. <laughs> not a fan at all. I've already have you already started to get the emails from lists you didn't even know you were on as far as have a great fourth <laughs> list. Yes. This, I'm like, I didn't know I gave you my email. I guess somehow you got it. Um, unsubscribe. But yeah, it's it's I don't know. I just don't like them. They feel like it's it just doesn't feel authentic, I guess, is what I don't like about it. I think that's the biggest thing as a as a millennial um, myself. I, I just feel like it's not authentic for a brand to have a message like that. Now, yep. to communicate that your hours are different because of the holiday and that hey, if you genuine. were interested in, mm -hmm. right, that's, hey, we don't want you to show up at our model home on you know the afternoon of the 4th and think you're going to show your friends and family through the model again, right? That there's a reason for that. But I think when a brand wishes you a happy holiday, for the most part, nine times out of 10, it comes across as not authentic and potentially even worse. And this is, goes into folks who like holidays like Memorial Day, you know, mm, yeah. what's Memorial Day for? It's to honor uh, veterans and, and those who lost their lives in, in memorial for them, right? Yes. And so you're going to offer... $2,000 off of a home in honor of folks who gave the ultimate sacrifice that just comes across as Oof. not just inauthentic, but tacky, cringy, yeah, tacky. Yeah. So it's, it's, I, th I think maybe some people feel like they have to, and we'll talk about this you know, next week when we have more answers, but I think that's a big reason why people do them is they have, they feel like, Oh, I have to say something. Well, it's on the marketing calendar, it's on Kevin, the calendar. you know, it says that this is the holiday coming up. And so we're supposed to, to reference it because otherwise we'll be out of touch. Yeah, out of touch. People, people will miss it. People know. <laughs> They'll miss our <laughs> post. But our competitors posted something about oh, don't, the fourth last, don't steal that last from time. Them. They could keep All it. Right. So you can tell where we land on the topic. We don't want to overly, um, you know, direct your own answers, but let us know. Hey, if you've, if you've had a good success with a campaign based around the holiday uh, message, feel free to share that with pride because we oh, yeah. would love to hear about it.
We love to. We love to be wrong. Mm-hmm. That's how you learn. <laughs> we do. That's right. That's how you get better. All right, that'll do it for this week. Uh, for published articles, blog posts, videos, and more, check out doyouconvert.com. It's also the best way to find out how to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and the rest. Have a fantastic uh, extended holiday week slash weekend, and we'll see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>